Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. My message to you today does involve Avraham, Abraham. He's, he's not unfamiliar to us. We know him pretty much. We know him first as Avram when he's introduced in the Torah. He's introduced as Avram. And then his name is changed to Avraham. His wife's name is Sarai, and her name is changed to Sarah, to Sarah there. And in this week's parasha, we come to one of the more perplexing for some situations. And beginning in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, Then the Lord appeared, that's where the name of this portion comes from, he appeared, then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as Abraham was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when Abraham saw them, and he ran from the tent door to meet them, and Abraham bowed himself to the ground. If you follow the chronology of Abraham's life, he did all that. He was sitting in the tent. He noticed and saw people standing by him, and then he ran, literally, he ran to meet them, to greet them, and he was 99 years old. He expended some effort there in hospitality, and if you were here for the liturgy portion this morning, you know that uh, Kevin mentioned the idea of hospitality. So the underlying aspects of the interaction between Abraham and these mysterious somewhat three visitors, really these divine visitors as they're often called, the, the, the underlying aspects of this interaction was not necessarily theological. For some, their world is all theology. Everything wraps around the theology, and it's, we must have correct theology. How would I call biblically sound theology? But when Abraham interacted with these three visitors who appeared at his tent in, in the heat of the day, as it says, while he's sitting there in the door, the petach, the opening of the tent, uh, his, his interaction was not necessarily theological. There was a human aspect to this. As, it, as I mentioned, he was sitting there. They were standing by him. He ran from the tent door to meet them as they were coming, and then he bowed himself down. And you can read the rest of the text in Genesis 18. It tells this amazing interaction that occurs. And rather than theology popping up at this point, they didn't sit there and discuss about the rapture, you know, or anything like that. 
and as important as it is to have sound theology, as I've already mentioned, there were underlying elements here that were critical to this text. On a, and can I say, on a simpler human scale, do you know it's important on the human scale to make sure that we're interacting correctly with people? For example, Abraham extends hospitality, as was mentioned prior in this service. These visitors, he extends hospitality to them. He didn't know them. He extended hospitality. He expresses care for them. He communicates with them. He serves them. He gives them consideration of their situation. He's generous to them. And in in general, he had a basic concern for them and their welfare, their well-being. And these elements combined point us to deeper levels of spiritual truth. Here Abraham is at this ripe age of 99. Here he is at this age, and he's still functioning on a practical level with people, still functioning like that, still being hospitable, still being gracious, still caring, still trying to communicate, still serving, still being considerate and generous to them. And that's a good example for us, I believe, because No matter where we are at this stage in our lives, whether we're young or older, we must keep the human element out there in the forefront. We're interacting with real people, and real people sometimes have real issues. Real people have real needs sometimes. I'm very thankful for this congregation that this this time we have a benevolence fund. We have a food pantry. We also have a, a, new, a new ministry for a clothing exchange that I believe is going to be very important here and other things that we're doing. And I'm very thankful for that, 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 that our, our goal is to, 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 to minister to people where they're at as best as we can. But all these common elements, as we might call them, like hospitality and care and communication, they do point us to deeper levels of spiritual truth. Abraham's conduct as he meets these three visitors who turned out to be what? Divine visitors. Abraham's conduct was quite simple. And there's something beautiful about simplicity and simple trust in the Lord and simple acts of faith and obedience. There's something beautiful. If if we could paint a picture of that, it would be a beautiful picture of simplicity of faith and trust. And Scripture does tell us a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. It tells us by way of warning, Rav Shul writing to the Corinthians is one of these statements. There are several of them where he actually says, but I'm afraid, but I fear. Here's the great apostle, the Shaliach, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Rav Shul, Paul the apostle saying, but I'm afraid, I, I fear But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity. Some translations say the purity, the purity that is in Messiah. Rob Schultz said, I'm concerned about this. I don't want you to become so complex that you're missing the simple things. And those simple things, they do interact with theology, of course. Those simple things in life that we should be doing. Our devotion to the Lord, if I could say it this way, may be best shown through the simplicity of our faithful actions towards others in Yeshua's name, not for our glory, but for the Lord's glory. 
Our genuineness, our faith is shown by our actions. If you wonder how true that statement is, I, I, I would challenge you with the book of Yaakov, the book of James, and see the interaction there on that. Where he say, he basically goes so far as says that faith without works is what? It's, there's no life there. Abraham seemed to be not only a man of faith, as was Sarah, Sarai, his wife, not only a man of faith, but he was a man of faithful actions. And it's important for us. Now, when we use the word simple and simplicity and those type of things, that doesn't mean we act like simpletons as we relate to others. It does mean we wisely avoid getting caught up in the increasing complexities. And, and life can be very complex. How many agree with that? Life can be very complex, and it can also be very perplexing in its complexities. That's what's happening out there now. And with all these complexities that are there, the hundreds of channels now you can watch on television, all the airwaves filled with all kinds of things, many different types of cars to choose from, all these different things that we have to deal with. If we get wrapped up in all these complexities, are we in danger then of losing the simplicity that's so important for us as the earnestness of our faith is shown in simple acts of devotion? And when we get caught up part and parcel in modern living, when we get caught up in all that stuff and that becomes the substance of our life, we're going astray, in my opinion. We're going astray. We know what 1 John says. It says, love not the world nor the things of the world. If someone says they, they love the Heavenly Father and they love the world, they're not telling the truth. These very things, these complexities, they can hinder, they can even ruin and, and corrode and cause there to be uh, corruption into our very faith, our trust life, our faith in the Lord. And when we get caught up in the complexities of life, the ways of this world, the cares of this world, we know what happens there. We get caught up in these things. We can easily be, be miss the very important things that oftentimes are expressed in the simplest ways. When's the last time you told your wife that you love her? Wives, when's the last time you told your husband you love him? When's the last time you told a friend, hey, I really appreciate you? When's the last time you said, oh, let me, if I can be of help to you, let me be that help to you by God's grace? And when's the last time you, you spent time alone with the Lord in prayer, not with all the bells and whistles or with your phone ringing, but alone on your face before God? And you said, Lord, here am I, he nay nee. Here am I, Lord. What, what would you have me do, Lord? Think about how we can get wrapped up in things. As I was flying back, I had yet another one of those moments <laughs> on the plane. There I was looking around the plane, and everybody had their iPad out. The guy next to me was playing games, but okay, that's fine. But his son was sitting right next to him, and he, he didn't talk to this son the whole, whole flight, two and a half hours. Not a word. I mean, if he said it, I missed it. 
Do we want that in life? Is that what we really want? Is there any redemptive power to that? Is there any, anything eternal to those type of things? Friends, be, be careful what you're investing your time, your effort, your funds, your everything into. It could be fool's gold. Be careful. Now, Paul, Rav Shaul, several places, he likens the walk of messianic faith to what a soldier encounters when enlisted for battle. And I, I, let me fess up here right now. I've never been in the military. But I do believe what Rav Shaul said. How many believe the word of God here today? <laughs> Here's what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Beginning with verse 3, he said, you therefore, he's addressing Timothy, this is to an individual, a person like you or me, a real person. We learn about Timothy in the book of Acts. We learn some of his background. He says, you therefore must endure hardship. But he goes further, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Yeshua the Messiah. And I've already fessed up that I've never been in the military, but I did notice one word in this statement. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Yeshua the Messiah. That provokes the question for me, can there be bad soldiers? <laughs> can there be, can, in the community, can there be those that are that are not really pulling their weight? They're not really connected? They're, they're not really good soldiers of Messiah Yeshua? Sure. And then he continues in verse 4, no one engaged in warfare and I believe he's talking both sides here, spiritual and physical. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this. I've noticed the verbiage there. Entangles himself. It sounds like this willful thing that's done. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. To put it simply, and I think you would agree with this statement, God's children are to please God above all else. Just if we can compare with what was said of Yeshua as he was revealed to Israel nearly 2,000 years ago in Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where the Lord says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Two weeks ago, if you were here, I did miss last week due to my commitments with committees, but I read a passage that I'm still meditating on. Let me share it with you again. It's from Yermiahu, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And if you're looking at that passage, you realize that's not how that passage ends. That same verse continues, but they said, we will not walk. We won't do it. We won't walk in it. So we don't know really how history would have changed if Israel's response to the ministry, the prophetic ministry of Jeremiah, 
if Israel would have responded affirmatively to Jeremiah's ministry, we don't know how history would have changed. We don't know what would have happened. We know what did happen, that they didn't respond to Jeremiah. They put him in the pit. They didn't want to hear him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. And what eventually came about was Israel was taken into exile, a very cruel and terrible exile, the Babylonian exile. And we know from our own personal experience, and think about your own life, if you would please, at this time. We know from our own experience, our own personal experiences, as we go through life, that sometimes a simple change of attitude can make a big difference. Sometimes a simple decision that's right and good can change the whole flow of our history, our own personal history, and can make a huge difference in the outcome that comes upon us. And this is true in real life. Major decisions and even some that seem minor at the time can alter our future in dramatic ways, even simple decisions. If you wonder what I'm speaking about, I was wondering about this. (laughs) Does saying I do to a marriage proposal (laughs) create a different result than replying, no, I don't want anything to do with this? (laughs) What that brings about? I think you would agree, yes. The simple I do can change the whole trajectory in a person's life, in people's lives. So can, no, I don't want to marry you, change the trajectory in a person's life or in a couple's life. Accepting a new job position, choosing a specific school to attend, and got to be careful nowadays with higher education. Some of what's coming down the pike there, you know, as far as compared to the Word of God, you have to wonder, where's this leading to? It doesn't seem to be leading what they're teaching, instructing, and pushing on young people nowadays. doesn't seem to be leading to good things. But choosing a specific school to attend, I know in my own life, when I became a believer, I was accepted to a major university in the Northeast, and I became a believer at that time. You know what I did? I didn't go to it. Why? Not because I was so clever. It's just that I realized, looking at myself, there's no way I would survive spiritually in that particular university. I knew what was happening in that university. There's no way I would. And eventually I went to two Bible schools instead and other secular education. But that decision was an important one for my life. Who knows what would have happened if I said yes. And I remember getting pulled out as a senior in high school by the guidance cop, getting pulled right out of class, and he looked at me and said, what are you doing? I didn't know how to proclaim my faith, but I knew that if I went to that particular university, friends, make good decisions. Make simple decisions that are in the way of the Lord, not that take you away from the Lord. Sometimes a job decision, and sometimes we make decisions to delve into things that we know are not good. We've all probably done that. And as we do that and we get entrenched in those things, it really interferes with the trajectory of our life. And the list goes on and on. Important decisions we make. Choosing our friends wisely. Tithing. Using our finances wisely. 
how we use time. How do we use time? It, it doesn't hurt to budget your time. Take a look at your own time when no one else, no one other eyes looking at it. You look and see what you did. Maybe list, what did I do today? Not about your neighbor. What did I do in my time today? Or, or look, how did I spend my weekend? What did I do? Then see if God is anywhere in there. Hopefully in a congregation like this, he's very much in there. Did I just waste the time, which is a precious gift? Life is a gift. Or did I redeem the time because the days are evil, as Rob Shaul says in Ephesians? You know, we must keep in mind, I believe, that the Lord is the sovereign creator of the universe. Let that sink in. That's how powerful he is. That's how awesome he is. That's how mighty he is. That's how wise he is. And, and fill in all the other blanks that go in description of him. And he's the sovereign creator of the universe. And this remains true no matter what circumstance you face in life. He's still the sovereign creator of the universe. And the battle that we face daily, and many of us do, that we face daily in our life is addressed very specifically again by Rob Shaw in Ephesians chapter 6, which many of you have memorized. Ephesians 6, verse 12. What does it say there? It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. How often do we make wrestling against flesh and blood the very substance of our thoughts and emotions and actions? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then it says this, and having done all, you've done all you can to stand, and it continues forward from there. And these two words really catch my attention. They're simple words, to stand. One of the first verbs you might learn if you were learning the English language is the verb to stand, the infinitive to stand. And stand, this idea of standing is a key word in Ephesians chapter 6. It's mentioned in verses 11, verse 13, verse 14. And then there's another word that's mentioned, I believe, in Ephesians 6, 13, which is the word resist. So you have the word to stand and the idea of standing mentioned at least three times in a short section of Scripture, and then spliced into that very idea is the idea of resisting. Resist. And we know that verb, that idea, from a passage in the book of James that says, resist the devil, and what will he do? He will flee. <laughs> some, some who didn't really know English so well said, resist the devil and he'll have fleas. No, that's not it. No, he'll flee. He'll flee. But most people throughout each passing day stand at some time. When Rabbi Carl was concluding Kaddish today, he asked everyone to stand who was able, and we stood in, in commemoration, standing with those who are, are suffering. We stand at attention sometimes to show we're alert. The meetings that I just came from, there were hours and hours of meeting. And at times I got up and stood and walked around the room and all that, stood and all that. And sometimes we just stand to, to be alert, to remain alert. 
We stand to show kavod. Can you say kavod? To show honor. We stand sometimes. In the mid-70s in Tel Aviv, it was fun to go on bus rides, the public transportation. And I was just so thrilled. I remember so clearly in, in, in Tel Aviv in the mid-70s, riding on the public bus system and to see individuals as the older people came on the bus to see the younger people stand up and give their seat to them. Now, I was a younger person at that point, but it was thrilling to see that, to give respect to stand and give respect to the elder people. And before prayer was removed from public schools, I clearly recall that all the students would stand in prayer. How many of you remember that? We would have to stand. They would have, our teacher would tell us to stand, stand, and there would be a, a prayer that it came over the, what we called the PA system back then, came over there, and it was a prayer, and there, and we said the pledge to the flag and all that, but we stood as we did that. And we may welcome people by standing. Abraham ran to meet his three visitors. 99 years old. I wonder if he was wearing Nikes or what he was wearing. But he got up and he ran to meet them. And then he began telling his wife, prepare food for them, etc. Hospitality. Standing is very common when the bride comes in during a wedding. And everyone stands and they turn and they look. It's a beautiful uh, custom, tradition. It's a physical action, standing. But taking a stand... Catch the difference there. Taking a stand is an action that's connected to inner convictions. Have you ever had to take a stand about something in your life? How many can honestly say there have been times where you had to take a stand? I'm not talking about this, what I'm doing. Where you had to stand up and you know, take a stand on a conviction that most of us have. And sometimes our stand has been good ones been a good stand, and other times probably not as well advised as they should be. But basically, figuratively, we take a stand for something or against something or someone. Now, friends here today, I am not ashamed and I am not afraid to declare today that I stand firmly with my people today. I stand firmly with the Jewish people. I stand firmly with the trials and all that's happening in Israel. And I stand firmly against anti-Semitism, however it pops its evil head up. And I hope you do too. I stand for Israel's right to defend itself. I stand for Israel's right to protect all its citizens the Jewish citizens, the Druze citizens, the Christian citizens, the Muslim citizens. In any way that Israel deems necessary, I stand with Israel to have the right to defend its citizens. It's critical. And I will stand firmly with the United States as we affirm, as we affirm Israel's righteous cause in this struggle. And Israel has righteous cause in this struggle. And I stand in prayer and with concern, very much so. I can't tell you how hard this hit me. For the more than 400 known Messianic Jewish fighters right now that are in the military. And if I could enlist you to do anything today, I would ask you to pray for them. That they'll be where they need to be. They'll be used of God the way they should be. And that God will use them mightily. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. 
Paul also used the term stand as a way to say be vigilant, be committed to. For example, it says stand fast. Some translations say stand firm, therefore, in what? In the liberty by which Messiah has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And contextually, if you read the whole context of this, Paul was exhorting the Galatians at that time. And by implication, we can say you and me in this generation, not to get entangled with legalistic, Judaistic practices, not to become so entangled with them that it saps the life out of walking in the Spirit. Because such complexities, such legalistic practices, they gnaw, they gnaw at the core of the simplicity of the gospel message. And we could say by application, don't get caught up in any form of legalistic observance. Or try to make others follow your legalism. You're not doing them a favor. You're doing them a disservice if you try to pass on your legalism to them. And there are many different types of legalism. There's no spiritual life in legalistic bondage. And Paul was saying that. He said, stand firm in the liberty of Messiah. There's where we stand. There's where we make our stand, in the liberty in Messiah Yeshua. And he also used the word stand in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. He says, watch Stand fast in what? In the faith. Be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. In Philippians 1, verse 27, beginning, it says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the good news of Messiah, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your fears, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the Bessarah, the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition to you of salvation, and that is from God. And note Psalm, the first Psalm. What a beautiful first Psalm. It's wonderful to jump ahead to Psalm 23, and it's awesome to jump ahead to Psalm 51, but let's not forget Psalm 1 in its simplicity. It starts out, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. How many of you agree that's a simple statement there? It uses simple verbs, walks, stands, sits. But we must make sure, as it says here, that we don't stand in the path of sinners or go the way of sinners. We must be deep inside of ourselves, settled and resolute about our personal devotion to the Lord. Is he your Lord and Savior today? Have you really committed your life to him? Is he the center of your day and your time and your finances and your efforts and your energies? Is he the center of it? That's what lordship means. I know we have variances on that. Many people think that you can say, Lord, Lord, and that everything will be okay. But saying Lord, Lord must be accompanied with doing Lord, Lord. The simplicity of devotion there. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Kepha wrote, But you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people. 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in Philippians, Rav Shaul in chapter 2 writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, it says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, it's a good one to know deep inside of yourself. We need to know this deep inside, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And verse 14, (laughs) do all things without complaining and disputing. (laughs) Do all things. How many things are we to do without complaining and disputing? All things, do all things without complaining in the school, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, then it says this, among whom you shine as lights in the world. May the light of Messiah shine through our lives, through this congregation, through all believing communities, so that many will come to know him because he is the light of the world. As a Messianic believer, a believer in the Messiah, as Messianic believers, we bear the message that can change for good the eternity of every human being. Whether that person may be in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, whether that person may be in Gaza, whether that person may be in Turkey or Russia or Ukraine or Thailand, or Botswana, we bear the message that can change the eternity as people trust in the Lord and believe in his word. They change. How many can say that's your testimony, that you believed on the Lord and change came into your life? That's mine. Change came into your life. That message that can change people's life is the Bessorah. It's the good news, the gospel of Messiah Yeshua. And when any person by faith says, I do to the Lord, I do, when you relinquish yourself to your master, to your Messiah, and he comes deep within you, your life is going to change. He's going to take you places you didn't realize were there. He's going to lead you to the place that he wants. You're going to inherit a state of blessedness that you couldn't even imagine that's reserved uniquely for the body of Messiah. This doesn't mean there won't be any trials, because there are. Very thankful for the little old lady that told me to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. <laughs> I looked at it, some of you have heard me say that because I mentioned it on Tuesday, but I looked at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, didn't know anything about that book. I found it, took me, I don't know how long to find 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's a brand new believer brand spanking new. And she said, you need to memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I looked at it, and then I realized that it was a very long verse. Couldn't she start me out with Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd? (laughs) But that verse that says there's no temptation has come upon you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He would not allow temptation or testing to come on you beyond what you're able, but will with every temptation, every test, the Hebrews same, in every test, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
And as you can tell, I listened to her. And I memorized that verse pretty much. So I leave you with this today here as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Our inner attitude is very important. We used to have a saying, you probably heard it, maybe it's still out there, about, we, we called it an attitude check. How many have heard that statement, an attitude check? <laughs> but our inner attitude as the people of God, if you're a believer, you're part of the people of God, our inner attitude should be to stand firm in our faith, to not be wrapped up in the complexities of this life, that we might, as good soldiers, please him who has called us into his service, the Lord. Our inner attitude should be about those type of things. And that we're ready and we're desiring and we long for to fulfill that high calling that he's placed on our lives. Friends, I'm going to make a statement here, and I believe I'm correct about this. All the peoples of the earth need Yeshua the Messiah. All of them. Every nation, every tongue, every age, every human being needs Yeshua the Messiah. There's no other way. Those aren't my rules. Those are the divine rules. That's the divine proclamation. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And it's with him that we really have to do. Ultimately, it will be before him that we have to do. May God have mercy and draw multitudes to himself at this time. Are you praying for that, for many to come? Are you praying the Lord of the harvest? that laborers will go forward, that we will support them, that there be many who come in. And I am not ashamed also to say what Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says. In fact, he uses the same term I just, for I am not ashamed of the good news of Messiah, for it is the power of God to what? To salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.